No, it's before the clap. You can't use things before the clap, boy. Okay. A new rule, I, I guess. I can. <laughs> <laughs> that was my traditional free podcast burp. <laughs> if, if the title of this podcast wasn't very definitely going to be Mothia, uh, that would be a contender. Um, <laughs> is the title of this podcast going to... Do you think anyone else is going to find Mothia funny? I mean, if they don't, they better strap in because they're in for a long one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, hello everyone and welcome to the 20th (laughs) episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm John Coxon. I'm Liz Batty. Uh, Alison, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Alison has dissolved into giggles. We're sorry, listeners. Alison is here. She just can't come to the podcast right now. (laughs) Oh, I'm Alison Scott. This episode will be going out on the 10th of December um, 2020. And we have some letters of comment. But first, we have a very serious plea. Uh, We want to talk to you about something that's very close to our hearts, all three of us. Um, and, And we urge you to take this very seriously um, please don't send me any more Weetabix. I'm begging you, please stop. Please. I think I've got time to change my shopping list for tomorrow. I've got enough. Someone sent me, Claire, Claire Briley of Croydon sent me 108 Weetabix. And then my half-brother Dave, who I didn't know listened to the show, but hi Dave, uh, he also threatened to send me 108 Weetabix. And I just, I don't need more than 200 Weetabix in my house. Um, so please, please everyone consider me closed for Weetabix at this time. But thank you very much for thinking of me. If your correspondence involved Weetabix, this correspondence is closed. But if your correspondence was about Weetabix, that's probably still fine. And indeed, we have letters of comment, all of which mention Weetabix. And if you if you do threaten to send Weetabix, you may find um, that you get a surprise. God, that sounds ominous. So, letters of comment. Duncan McGregor has tweeted at us to say a minor point of contention is that Boxing Helena was directed by Jennifer Lynch, who is David Lynch's daughter. And then he tweeted again saying, I just realised I meant to type correction, but autocorrect read my mind. So thank you, listener Duncan, uh, for letting us know. Uh, We apologise for the error. And Ange Rosen tweeted at us to say that she finds the modern phrase key learnings makes her teeth grind. Um... And so we will attempt, we will treat that as a key learning and we will uh, avoid it herewith. Who said key learnings? I don't think, I don't know if anyone actually said it, but... um, Okay. How does she feel about onboarding? I don't know how she feels about onboarding. She didn't mention it, but we did get a letter from Claire Briley of Croydon. So Claire sent us a poem, uh, which is very excellent. Thank you, Claire. And um, she... She didn't say that onboarding isn't a real word. She just thinks it's a horrible verbed contraction. Um, And then Mark, she says, this lock 
and Mark has not locked us. That's important for you to know, listeners. Although I, I would, I would like him to, because I am now curious. Because she says this lock comes so late that Mark has surely written to you already and mentioned his proposed companion terms, which he feels help to mitigate the horror, offboarding for managing the process when someone leaves, and overboarding for when they've been sacked. And that I think are th- those those two words. I think are valuable additions to the lexicon. I'm I'm not convinced we didn't use offboarding at my last job and I left it in 2012, so... I don't know. I've never worked in a job that had jargon. (laughs) Oh, you haven't lived. You know, you have, obviously. You just... If you don't think your job has jargon, you've... No, and my job just has real words that everyone understands, like magnetosphere and plasma sheet dynamics. And then she says... uh, She thanks us for the Octothorpe fridge magnet that we sent her and uh, she... Um, explains that she shall on-fridge it immediately, uh, which we are glad to hear, Claire. We should mention the fact that if you're stuck for a Christmas present or stocking filler, you can now get fantastic Octothorpe merch in the form of fridge magnets and possibly some other merch as well if I get my act together by Thursday, but don't hold your breath. There will be a link in the show notes to how you can buy a fine Octothorpe magnet with our logo on. And and we're going to use it as the art for the chapter heading so that you'll be able to see a picture of it if you actually look at your chapter headings, which obviously you don't because nobody actually does that. If you go to the show notes, there will be links to places where you can buy Alison's excellent Octothorpe fridge magnets and where you can buy Alison's excellent Octothorpe t-shirts because I want an Octothorpe t-shirt, Alison. And if I say you're going to put it in the show notes, it will happen magically. Fridge magnets are £3 plus a pound for delivery and all of the details will be somewhere. Octothorpe t-shirts are purple. Yeah. I mean, they could not be purple. That would be crazy. Okay. Um, And we should read the poem. Lines on receiving a most unexpected fridge magnet in the post. You might have just run an online punctuation. But Octothorpe still had a clear obligation. What must you do in the con's aftermath? Ducking a challenge would seem quite pathetic. So would a lie, but here's proof quite magnetic. Covered in Weetabix, John in the bath. Thank you, Claire. Jerry Kaufman um, emailed me uh, about my trip report, best trip ever, and he says he enjoyed it quite a bit. It was cool and awesome. And then he apologises and says that Claire has probably teased me enough about awesome, he's sure. And that is true. Over the last 15 years, Claire has indeed teased me quite a lot about the word awesome. Um, but, you know, it's good. And um, Did yes, you just start that sentence it. with that's fair? That's fair. It was fair, Alison. Look, right, I'm a very egalitarian man. Discon 3 have sent out a poll to... um, Initially, I thought to members, but I think they're trying to spread it as far and as wide as they can. So if you are listening to this, hopefully you saw it. um, Asking whether or not people would rather they ran a virtual event in their original dates or they ran a physical event um, the weekend before Christmas in 2021. and I filled in this survey, and although I'm not sure whether or not I would go to DC the weekend before Christmas, I do think I'd rather they try and do a physical world con than a virtual one, so I tentatively voted for that option. Um, Liz and Alison, did you do this survey, and what did you think? I did do the survey. Um, I mean, I'm not currently a member of Discon 3, and to be honest, whether they held a 
if they held it in person in August, I probably wouldn't go. And if they held it in person in December, I probably wouldn't go. Um, but for different reasons, because I think if they try and hold it in person in August, no one is going to know whether that is actually possible for a good few months yet. And so no one will actually be able to plan. And the reason I wouldn't go in person in December is because it dates the 15th to the 19th of December. And that is much too close to the end of the year. So I think I said that I might attend their virtual one if they run, if they run that one. But I won't attend in person and I would not attend an in-person one. But I can, def- I can definitely see why they've done it. Because if you have put all that time and effort into thinking about a world con and it's going to get stomped on by a pandemic and you could possibly just shift it a few months and do it in person, then I could definitely see why that is a very tempting option. However, I'm not sure it's a good idea. I have not answered the survey and I think it might be a bit late now, even when we record, um, because I felt that I was rather a biased observer in that I'm, I certainly wouldn't be going to an August physical convention under the circumstances, though I had previously had some plans to try and go to Discon. I, there is no chance that I am ever going to go to a convention anywhere the weekend before Christmas unless I can um, trade, and I think that will be too difficult. So, and in fact, I, I really couldn't anyway. And um, so, but if it was a virtual convention, I might go, particularly if they... That they've got a lot of things have developed from where Con Zealand was, and I think they could probably run an awesome virtual world con if they put their minds to it. And this might, if the if the if the decision comes down in favour of virtualising, they've got quite a few months to get that right. Um, I am unconvinced that they're certainly going to have a physic be able to have a physical convention in December. Um, so I think there's a chance that they will be forced to virtualise again and will find themselves virtualising at an unbelievably terrible time and it will all be a big mess. Um, I, I wonder that they may, have some, they may have some commitments with the hotel that are difficult for them because that's, all, all, all these conventions do have issues with hotels. Um, Why don't you think they'll be able to do uh, an in-person convention in December? Because I think that does look like a reasonably good yeah, I mean, bet. Yeah, I mean, they, they think they will be able to. I, I mean, I think there has to be some chance that they won't be able to. Um, if they do, I think it will be quite small because it's a difficult time for travel, as everyone has said. The Smoths have also got their um, knickers in a collective twist about it because it's after SmothCon and that um, that that messes up all of the ways that Smoths do things. But I don't think that matters. Well, surely it messes up even more things than SmothCon. Uh, sure, because it would well for one thing, it would mean that site selection for twenty twenty two would take place extremely late and basically cut six months off their convention cycle. Um, I can't remember where the bids are for twenty twenty two. Not twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. I mean, actually, the two bids for twenty twenty three are Chengdu in China and Memphis in Tennessee. <clears throat> okay, so a potentially very late twenty twenty one Worldcon if they chose to run site selection at the convention would potentially mess up the 2023 bid by giving them six months less to prepare and also potentially mess up anyone who wanted to run a 2023 uh, NASFIC if they wanted to do that because they won't know if it will be required. Um, so I think there's, there's stuff like that which would almost certainly cause more problems. And I guess if you start running the Hugos right at the end of 2021, it doesn't cause the same issues, but it does push them back quite a long way. 
I was going to say, as as has been noted um, by many other people on Facebook, um, it, it kind of causes havoc to all the other conventions that are also thinking about whether they can run, say, between November and February 2021 to 2022, because people who've made commitments to do things and work on this con are now thinking, oh, but hang on, now you're going to be two weeks after my own little local science fiction convention. Um, and that messes those up. So that could be a problem. I think I think I hadn't thought about the problem with site selection, but um, I suppose I suppose that is an important question, which is how would you do that? Would you would you try and do site selection at the physical convention, or would you have a virtual thing earlier? And how would you do the Hugos? Um, I guess I guess there's not really a huge problem with having the Hugos at Christmas, but it it seems a bit of an odd thing. I mean, you could just run a much more relaxed Hugo nomination, Hugo voting program process with a few more months in there and then the administrators would have plenty of time to count the votes and you award them in december discona having an all-staff weekend and i assume that this is the sort of thing that they are working through at the all-staff weekend before coming to a conclusion that's why i think i'm probably too late to fill in the survey Ah, i see yes i assume that they are taking the views of the staff at the all-staff weekend working through the issues at the all-staff weekend and then the board is going to make a decision shortly I do think site selection is very interesting. Listeners who are not mired in um, Worldcom politics may not know that the 2023 Worldcom bid is really spectacularly contested to a degree that I think is 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 quite contested even by Worldcom standards because it's not a case of there are two bids and they both have very they both have proponents and detractors and they have some very they are offering very different propositions being um. Um, Chengdu and Memphis. Yes, I think we could probably discuss that in more detail, kind of in a different episode. Uh, for, for listeners who may not know, Alison's busiest time of the year is Christmas because she is a person what sells things on that internet. Like Octothorpe fridge magnets and t-shirts. Yes, and that means that uh, she is busy over Christmas, so a convention for her would be a significant drop in income. Um, I don't have that problem because um, I'm an academic, um, I could probably take time off and go to DC in, in December. So I did vote because I think if it was rescheduled, I would probably go. I've got family in the US. Uh, it might be cool to have Christmas with them. Um, and yeah, I could see it happening if there was a vaccine and if it was safe. I mean, obviously, those are two gigantic ifs. But so and I think I'd be more likely to go to that than I would a online convention because I don't know. I'm not I didn't go to Con Zealand and I'm not I'm not sure if I'd go to DC online. But maybe I'm maybe I'm unselling it. It slightly depends how well they do the social spaces, um, I suppose. Um, but yes, Liz, would you would you what was the chance that you would go to DC in December if they rescheduled? I think it's very unlikely for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that I would like to see my family at Christmas, which I will not be able to do this year, and it is just infeasible, really, for me to go all the way to the US for the fifteenth and nineteenth, and then go to the UK. Uh, for Christmas straight after. The second one is just my issue, which is that the big conference in my field, which is held in the US, tends to be held in very late November, um, in which case I would probably not want to go to the US twice. I actually definitely wouldn't want to go to the US twice, but they're not quite close enough together that I could do both of them in one go. Um, and I think there is also a third reason, which is I think we're sort of assuming that there will be widespread, you know, vaccination by the end of 2021. 
But that is actually not an assumption which is going to hold true for everywhere. So, um, we and we don't know what the requirements are going to be for requiring vaccination if it be required to enter the US, if it would be required to get on aeroplanes to the US. But even if you think nearly everyone in the US will have been vaccinated by the end of 2021, this definitely does not hold true for countries which have, you know, less money and have not pre-bought 600 million doses of vaccine. So, for instance, vaccination here is currently scheduled to start in June 2021 and to maybe finish sometime mid-2022. So it seems highly unlikely that I will have been vaccinated. And I think that's going to be... um, a, a problem for those Worldcon attendees. I mean, I don't think it's an insurmountable problem because there's already like a million other, um, a million other problems for people trying to attend Worldcons from low and middle income countries, like visas and the cost and all of those things. But this might just be an extra one on top of that, and we don't know how it's going to work yet. Correct. Yep, that's all fair. I think I support the decision they're making because I think basically um, it was clear from the. Um, Survey they sent out that basically these are the two choices. Like um, they can't hold it in 2022 because the the 2021 Worldcon, and like this is the only date they could move to if they want to try and do it physically. So I do think it's worth asking the question. I will be very curious to see what happens as a result. Another thing that Discon 3 have done is they have announced that they are exercising their their special Wusfus given right to assign a special Hugo category and they are going to do a Hugo for the best video game. They follow in the footsteps of LA Con 4, I think, that did this in the mid-noughties. Um, it didn't work then. Will it work now? Liz, your opinions. I was going to say, you say LACON did it. Didn't LACON run the nominations and then realise that they didn't have enough nominations to run a sensible um, sensible category and then not run it? I think it is definitely, I think it's actually well overdue that we have another go at this. I think probably there are more people playing games when you... Hmm, I think there might be more people playing games, but I think there are definitely more people playing a variety of stuff because they have access to phones and tablets and more mobile gaming devices. So even people who might not think they play games definitely do play games uh, and maybe more of them will now have stuff they want to nominate. So I think it's definitely worth a go. I think the difficulty might be that I think games have quite a long life and sometimes have quite a high time investment. So for instance, I've played quite a lot of games this year, but I'm not sure any of them were released in 2020. Um, and you also get to have fun with things like what about long running games which release updates or new content in 2020? Um, because there is, for instance, a new World of Warcraft expansion. But are you awarding the World of Warcraft expansion or are you sort of tacitly awarding 15 years worth of World of Warcraft? Which is not a problem right now because we haven't had any other video game Hugos. But then it's like if you wanted to do this uh, more often you wanted to make it a permanent category, then you have to think about that. But I do think someone has thought about all these things and I should read the uh, uh, long report on how you would run a video game, Hugo, before I uh, make any more pronouncements, probably. Is there an actual specification for this, Hugo? Um, so there is um, there is a um, subcommittee 
which is chaired by Ira Alexandre. I'm apologizing if I got that name wrong. Uh, and is the Games Hugo subcommittee of the Hugo Study Committee. And um, they gathered a bunch of data and evidence um, according to File 770. I think if we want to go deep into the um, nuts and bolts of how the award will work, we probably ought to go away and before next episode, learn how it does work and have opinions based on that. Because uh, if we say a bunch of things about it would never work and then we read it, we're like, actually, that that's all quite sensible. Yeah. OK, so so before we do this properly, which we will do in a future episode, we could go, aha, we've done our homework. But this is just a hot take on the announcement which is hot a different take. thing. So hot take. Um, and my hot take is that most people in the world and certainly most attenders of Worldcons play video games. How many of those play video games that are narrative I am not persuaded by? Most of the video games that people actually play are not are either not narrative at all or the the narrative element is so unbelievably um, shallow compared to actual actual science fictional content, even science fictional content on television and movies. Um, you know, the, the amount of the typical Marvel movie, which, as you know, I criticise quite a lot, still has a ton more narrative content than even quite... That is that is that is one hundred percent steaming bullshit, Alison, <laughs> and you know it is. Like I've played Horizon Zero Dawn, and there is more world building in the first twenty minutes of that game than there is in the entirety of the MCU. And if that doesn't count as narrative, then what does? Was it released in twenty twenty? I mean, I don't know. I don't think so. But I believe that the sequel is either this year or next year. But I don't think. I definitely think so. There are two things here, which is firstly, not all narrative has to be. Um, you can have emergent narrative through world building, and I think that is something the games do very well, which virtually all other media that's recognised by the Hugo doesn't. And I think the fact that that is a different sort of science fiction narrative doesn't make it a less valid science fiction narrative. But secondly, there are loads of highly narrative games that tell like really complex stories over hours of gameplay. And I think it will be interesting because um, I think if it doesn't work, that will tell us a lot. But I don't think there's an inherent reason why it couldn't. It will be down to whether or not people who vote for the Hugos also play recent video games. I think if they do, this will be a successful uh, category. My question is whether that is true. Um, and that, I think, might end up being its downfall. Because um, I know I play a lot of games, but I haven't played much from 2020 in terms of video games. I have just started playing a, a multiple award-winning game from 2020, um, which... Is it called Animal Crossing? has two where where one group of people are saying this has amazing emergent narrative and the other group of people are going nah it's a junky chinese um free to play game that is just stealing your money and i think both of these things are probably true um but i'm not i i will be interested to see whether the narrative that emerges is actually i don't know satisfying stories from emergent narrative yeah, okay, there probably is quite a lot in this. So reading through um reading through like um the report from um the Games Hugo um people, um like a couple of examples they give of recent games are um uh Assassin's Creed Odyssey, God of War, the Marvel Spider Man game, uh Monster Hunter, um Um so they're, they're oh Death Stranding. Um oh they miss they miss Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. 
Um, so, like, I think the thing is that, like, I think it's twofold, which is, firstly, I think, like, emergent narrative is important. But secondly, I think video games over the last... I mean, it's probably not fair to say they never did this, but I definitely think that in recent times there has been a shift towards video games telling more and more complex narratives. Um, and whether or not that's necessarily a good thing is kind of up for debate, because I remember we had a panel at the two at your EasterCon, Alison, at Follycon, where one of the panellists was like, I've been agitating for games to tell more directed narratives for ages, and now they've started, I don't like it. And I'm like, I mean, you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, it's fair. So the other half of my hot take, before John interrupted and said that is steaming pile of bollocks the other half of my hot take is i also don't think it will work because i think there are far too many possible nominees and the nominations will be spread way too thin and the ones that will actually emerge to the finalist will indeed be games which are the latest installment in some massive franchise and i just don't think there's any joy in any of that but there we go we wouldn't want a Hugo Cattery to be repeatedly dominated by the latest iteration of the same thing over and over again. I mean, you wouldn't want something like Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form or Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form or Semi Proceed or Fanzine or Fan Writer or Best Novel or Best Novella. That that would be terrible. But I think I think that the best video game, because of the lack of familiarity with the I mean, you can still watch every major genre movie that's released in a year, for example which is why discussions of best dramatic presentation long form have such legs. You cannot possibly play every relevant quality video game that's released in a year or even a tiny fraction of them. Most people are only going to be playing a few, even if they're very keen gamers. And and, and AAA games are extremely expensive, so most people can't afford to actually survey the field in them, even if they had no other life. That's actually really interesting so just to follow up on that, that's a really interesting point because I was about to say they're not, you just wait for them to be cheap. And then I'm like, aha, but if you do that, you can't nominate. Not in 2020, you don't. Yeah, exactly. So that is actually a really interesting point, which is like if you bought Horizon Zero Dawn today, it would cost you about £15. But if you had bought it when it was actually first out, it would have been three or four times more expensive. And so this is a Hugo category in a field where I don't feel, I mean, obviously books get cheaper, but they don't. It's, and movies get cheaper because they come on Netflix, but the initial outlay in what sort of being up to date is far less. And there's, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting point. Since I'm currently, uh, I'm currently skimming through the big report about best gamer interactive experience category, which I believe none of us has read, and does actually cover quite a number of these points. So maybe we should read it. Also, it's got a link to a speed run of Dragon Age Origins in 40 minutes, which I'm dying to go and watch because it took me like 120 hours to finish that game. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the other problem. They say there's 100 hours of gameplay in this and I look at it and I go, I know that if I were to do this, it would be more like 400 hours. I, I think we should, I think John should cobble together some kind of sensible sounding thing out of this. <laughs> yeah, good luck with the edit, John. <laughs> I knew it would be a nightmare. When I'm not here this weekend, I am at a, an event that is being run in Gathertown. Now, Gathertown's an online service that we didn't use, that we did consider for punctuation. Um, and in this thing, you can move around. There are places you can sit and chat to people. Some of those are private, so your conversation is private. When you go and sit in a place, it turns into a video chat. Or when you, when you are near people, you turn into a video chat. So I had a, a 
brilliant interactive moment because I walked into this thing for the first time yesterday morning and immediately found myself in conversation with somebody who's basically a superstar in the field. And that was quite nice. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't have thought he'd be a person I was likely to meet. Um, so that was that was quite nice. And I, I liked some of that. But more generally, my experience has not been entirely pleasant, partly because they're doing something where they're streaming. Pe- people are making the talks in Gather Town and then that is being stream to an overflow space and then also stream to YouTube. And all of those streams are way clunky compared to what you get in, say, a Zoom webinar. Um, So so the actual video and audio experience is not not as good. The the little windows that you see people in are tiny. Um, It's got all of the problems that Zoom has in large numbers of people needing to turn off their microphone and and video, but not necessarily being able to see how to do that. But the primary problem I'm having is one that people might have had by a punctuation, but we wouldn't know about it, which is that apart from one person who told me it was happening, I don't actually know anyone there. And because of the way it's set up, the ability to meet new people is 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 not that straightforward um and they have they had interactive items but they had all their interactive items at the same time so if that wasn't a time that was good for you it it wouldn't work so I feel like one of the things that made me feel was there might be people out there for whom punctuation felt a bit like that they're probably not listening to this podcast but if you know people for whom punctuation didn't work I'd really like those people to answer the feedback questionnaire um, but also, Gathertown's quite expensive, so this this convention had a proper fee, not a fiver, and um, and and that fee seems to be. It's also non profit. It's a it's a it's being organised by enthusiasts. Um, the, the almost the entire amount I paid is covered by the amount they will have paid Gathertown for for my for, per user for the weekend. So. So it's it, it's absolutely not a it, it's a good example of something that costs money but doesn't necessarily deliver the outcome any better than what we've got. I will say um, just very quickly. So 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 firstly, it sounds like Gather Town. It doesn't sound like I've used Gather Town to great effect. We used it for a poster session at a professional conference I was at yesterday and the day before. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Thursday and Friday, and um, it worked very well for what we were using it for. But I think you do have to be very careful. There are things that it won't work for at all, um, and it sounds like what your experience is one of them. Um, but I will also say that I think the problem meeting people at conferences or conventions where you don't know anyone is is really difficult to solve. Um, so I would be, I think that might be a topic that we could discuss in a future episode, um, both from the perspective of trying to crack it at virtual conventions but also trying to crack it for people who come to to physical conventions um after after the event has subsided yeah i think the things that we didn't crack are not so much well i think there's probably lots of things we didn't crack but some of the things that we didn't crack that i would really like to crack are also things that affect physical conventions like essentially the flow of social space like this was sometimes a problem at punctuation. Either there was no one in the bar or the bar was a big noisy conversation. It didn't work for me, but there was no one in a smaller conversation or we didn't really do enough to, you know, introduce people to each other and get people more involved early on. But I don't think we've really cracked those at many in-person conventions. There are always times when I've gone, oh, the bar is too noisy. 
oh, I'm going to give up and go home. Or, oh, there's lots of people in the bar, but I don't know any of them and I don't know who to talk to, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can crack them in virtual conventions. But then when we go back to physical conventions, we can bring some of the lessons along. I will say that a friend of, of um, me and Liz are, uh, had a conversation with a friend who said that one night at punctuation they'd sort of wandered through the bar not seen anyone they recognized had gone to bed early um, and for that f- for them that was incredibly similar to the feeling of a real convention and i was like yay i think i'm not sure but i do think i don't want to i think it is a problem that persists and has been a problem since conventions started and i am very keen to try and solve it but i'm not gonna I'm not going to say we're going to crack it, but we, we, you know, we'll discuss it. I will try to come up with with some ideas. I mean, obviously, some of it is like if you, you know, you might not want to meet lots of strangers. Um, but yeah, like, so I think in general, like as an extrovert, I want to meet all the people all the time and talk to them loudly. But I am aware that I am an extrovert, and so there might be people for whom that's not their ultimate goal in any situation. I, I actually. At this event, I did actually have a little moment of going, while I am an extrovert and I am happy to talk to people loudly and meet all the people, I'm I'm not necessarily in a space of my life where I want, I, ne- I, I necessarily want to make 60 new friends in a new fandom this weekend. So I, I kind of turned it off in a way that I might not have done in real life. So, real life, sorry. I'm trying to avoid that. If I'd actually been there for the weekend and I'd be committed to spending the whole weekend there, oh, you betcha, I would have worked the room until I found myself with companionable people to spend the rest of the weekend with, which I don't think would have taken long. I mean, I think they were nice people that have things in common with me. Yeah, I think I am less extroverted than either of you. Um, I mean, that's not hard. Did we mention the bell curve earlier, Liz? Yeah, I mean, I think on the bell curve, I'm somewhere in the middle, which is I like coming and chatting to people, but I don't necessarily need it to be like allowed. I'm going to meet everyone. I'm also old and grumpy at this point. And so sometimes it's like, well, I'd like to talk to people, but I don't really want to talk to new people. I want to talk to people I already know. And it's hard to subtly nip into the Zoom, see if there's anyone you know, and then if there's not, nip out again. I guess I could claim technical problems. Um, whereas in the bar you can kind of walk through the bar in a purposeful manner like you have somewhere to go and if there's no one in the bar you want to sit and chat to you walk straight through to the side okay so here's the thing gather town is great for that ah you walk through the gather town and you see all the people in their little groups and you see their little names and you have a list of everyone who's online at gather town yep and you can get directions you can click the person and you can locate people and go and and go and find them, which is unbelievably useful. And I would like that for the real world right now, please. You could go and find them, even if they don't know you're doing that. That would be great. That would solve many of my Zoom. It's a bit stalky, but it's it's very very good. So so I mean, I, I want to give this platform its due. It has some really good features. Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. If you haven't looked it up and you enjoy video or Pokemon, uh, go and look it up. Or, you know, other top-down RPGs with pixelated graphics are available. I think what I'm saying is I'd happily run a party in Gather Town for people I already know. Oh, yeah, 100%. I just wouldn't try to put talks and panels into it 
at all. And the thing is, like, we could have used Gather Town for the social spaces at um, punctuation, and in some ways that would have given us something we didn't have with the other three services we were using. But I am... One of the things we were trying to do was every time we added a new service to that mix of services, we were trying to make sure it added enough to be worth the extra complexity and that is something i think is because we had people for whom it was already too complex and we had people for whom they wanted things that we had deprioritized in the favor of keeping it as uncomplicated as we could and like making that series of trade-offs is incredibly difficult and i know that we didn't hit upon the trade-offs that everyone would have preferred but i think from my perspective we probably hit on the most universal set of trade-offs we could um but but i think this is a bit like when you're running an EasterCon and you've got a choice between kind of easy to get to by public transport big enough to have an EasterCon, and in a place people want to go pick any two and you know that is one of those awkward situations where you always have to compromise the 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 physical event version of the thing I was at this weekend is often held at one of those ex-civil service training centres of which I was not previously aware. And I was kind of looking at its website going, ooh, ooh, you could run a nice convention here. You mean like the place where you have previously run a uh, com? Yeah, we ran Plockter at the civil at the ex-civil service college. I I, I think it was still called the civil service college when we did it but um and but it turns out that many large organizations that were once in the uk public sector have a kind of training space of this kind and i knew about a few of them and had rejected them for one reason or another um but but this one this one looks quite promising that they've mostly been public they've been privatized now but they've um but most of them have been privatized in a way that still makes them quite affordable for a convention um because because they are fundamentally quite they were quite simple places a bit like because they were kind of i think the civil service college explicitly did this that part of its remit was to try and give people in the civil service who were who had not had the the obviously helpful experience of going to a boarding school a sense of what going to a boarding school was like so there, the the original way these places were designed as residential training centres was to evoke a, a past age of of British privation, and and so there's a there's a limit to how how luxurious you can make them, and that means there's a limit to how much you can charge for them, and that's quite good because conve- science fiction conventions are always looking for places that are kind of a bit cheap, rather than going for state of the art hotels that are too expensive. Um, that might have been about, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not really think it's going to be a long time before I run a convention in the physical world again, actually. I want to talk about meeting people in VR, which we did a little bit of punctuation, but then have done since. Sell me on it, Alison. Sell me on an event I go to with my BB-8 Google Cardboard, which I had to get a friend from the US to get for me. We we used Mozilla Hubs to run a VR event at um, Punctuation, and it was kind of a bit crap. It was okay, but it was. It... I think you pronounced it wrong. I think it's actually I think it's actually pronounced Mothia because it's Spanish. Mozilla. Mothia. It's possible that I've interrupted you to make a terrible joke for no very good reason. 
Okay, I, I just, you know, I kind of like, I've been using Mozilla things since the beginning of time. Well, you know, since before John was born, maybe. It's just much better if you assume it's a Spanish word and pronounce it Mothia with, with the hand gesture. Mothia. Mothia, Firefox. See? Mothia, yeah. So, so um, Mothia. This is gold. It's all staying in. You were about like five or six when Mathia came into being, I think. So I've been using it for a very, very long time. But anyway, so you did quite surprise me there. But um, Proofax said, um, oh, you will find that Alt Space VR is much better. And she said this enough before the convention that we could have switched. But I was like, so, but to use Alt Space VR, people need an account. They need a free account. But Altspace VR exists, has free accounts, has 2D clients. And um, I like, we, we, we went back last night. This was four of us who um, include Max, who is a regular podcast listener, and Proofax, who I'm not sure is, and um, Lisa Conrad. And we went back to this space and we had a fantastic time, I think I can say, partly because when you meet people in VR you it's you feel like you're in a space meeting people i've probably said this before but that's kind of that's kind of one of the things i've been missing that i'm not getting from zoom is that sense that people are in the same space as you and at the moment that trick is happening for me in vr and it is not happening for me in any of the uh, any of the flat things um proofax had created a a bar for us to meet in, which would be big enough for, I don't know, 50 or 60 um, SF fans to hang out. And when you arrive, it is a bit like being in a bar. You can see that there's people over to one side talking. So you you walk over to where they are. And that, that, that's kind of nice. I mean, you don't walk. You you wiggle your you wiggle your controller or, or move an arrow key or something. Um, but then she'd got a lot of different worlds for us to visit. And we went and visited a few other worlds. And in one of those worlds, so they were, so there was a world with a functioning Stargate, and there was a the the um, bridge of a spaceship and things like that. And then in one of those worlds, some other people turned up because what happens is um, people for public worlds, you can see how many people are in them, and because not very many people are in most of them, the four of us going into a world made it a popular world, and so <laughs> then other people would turn up, and we fell into conversation with somebody who said. He was like a, a, a middle-aged American man who said, "Oh, well, you should come see my world because I've got a I've got a castle with a uh, a rock club in a dungeon." And we went, "Sure, let's do that." In a way that, in real life, I think it is fair <laughs> to say, you would never, you would never go anywhere with somebody. He was like talking about his experiences of Burning Man. Okay, <laughs> you know. You're not wrong. That is one of those situations that definitely plays out differently on the internet. His <laughs> touch was not actually creepy. And we had an absolutely great time. And then he'd, um, he'd very cleverly, I think, it turns out that one of the things you can do in alt space is texture your walls by importing photographs to use as a texture. And he'd got a photograph of him, which looked quite like his avatar. He did a better job of looking like his avatar. And he'd got a photo of him on one of the walls. And I was like, well, that's actually... that's." A- that if this was a real dungeon, that would be creepy. But in fact, it, it's not particularly creepy in this context because when you've when you've been invited to somebody's dungeon dungeon music club, you you kind of want to know what they look like in in, in the physical world. And this was all we had a load of time. We had you know we like practiced flying and we 
hung out on a pirate ship and we just had a fantastically good time. It was probably a little bit... None of this stuff would be any fun on your own, but just having four or five of you doing it is enough for it to be a lark. And again, something I've not been getting in the apocalypse, so that was quite nice. I know that Liz obviously gets to go out and see real people in the real world, and that's cool, but, but some of us aren't going to be for a while. VR, if you if you have headsets, if if any of you have a headset and and fancy coming and hanging out in some weird rando's creepy dungeon with me, um, do do let me know. But it was so much fun, and it reminded me because actually one of we were talking about muds and text chat. I, I'm wondering whether John has just logged on to Alt Space VR. I'm riding a roller coaster, and I'm genuinely getting vertigo. It's weird. Okay, you you need to be careful about that because you can become quite sick in these circumstances. So, um, yeah, I might stop watching when I vomit. Do you want to stop watching like just while we do the podcast? Maybe he slightly he slightly derailed me. See what I did there? Ha! Yes. You were talking about how you went to some man's dungeon with a giant picture of himself on the wall, and it was somehow not as weird as it sounds. Yeah, okay, so I do remember, and I'm going to cast my back... If you remember back in time to when we had text muds, which we were talking about last time, um, and one of the things about text muds is that it was possible to, in text muds, go off with creepy strangers in a way that you would never do in reality as well and, and go to their interesting interesting muds that they'd set up. But this was this was more more of that and more interesting and it was all quite good fun and we we had a good time um well i mean i had a good time and i think the others had a good time it seemed to be but eventually the other thing about vr headsets um is that you can only do it for a certain amount of time and then you go no 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 i'm gonna get my my brain is frying if anybody has a headset out there and has not yet got involved in this tiny little bit of fandom then get in touch and i'll um i'll give you the secret codes or i'll introduce you to proof who can give you the secret codes right so can I, so I, and I can access this. So if I have an iOS device and a Google Cardboard, I can come along? I don't, it has Windows and Mac clients. I don't know whether it has a Cardboard client. You should check. Okay. It's owned by Microsoft. So I think there's a good chance it doesn't have a Cardboard client. I'm basically waiting for my wife to buy VR because she keeps saying she wants it. And I'm like, well, that's very nice, dear. And um, pointless technology things I want i pay for and she doesn't go splitsies with me on so i'm kind of hoping this is where all of that comes back to really like i, I really get make a return on my investment and she randomly buys a vr one day um but it's one of those things which is highly expensive so i've never quite been able to justify it okay so the other thing about the creepy rando with the the underground dungeon and if you're listening to this um <laughs> Creepy By the Rambo. Way, you're fine, okay? He, he was a cool guy. Please um, tell me that you didn't give him the link to our podcast and then exclusively refer to him as Creepy Rando. I don't think... I mean, I think I was in there with my real name, though, because I only have one online identity these days, so... Okay. So he could probably look me up and find the podcast. I mean, I don't think he might, but... Well, you're banned from his dungeon now, I think. But we've been so we've been kind of wandering around his world for a little while, and he said, "Oh, and of course I don't actually have a headset. I can't really do the flying thing because I don't have a headset. I'm doing this on a laptop." And we were like, "You what?" Oh, so he is somebody who'd actually built a whole world just using the two D cloud. He wasn't actually viewing it in VR. So 
So that's the... It's quite strange. Apparently, it's all based on Unity. So theoretically, you could get any Unity 3D object in there, which I I feel like there's quite a lot of scope there for quite exciting things. If you wanted to, like, be be Mario or some equivalent thereof, which I personally wouldn't on account of how I keep falling into pits and being stomped on by Goombas, but, you know. So, yeah, I don't have a proper VR, but I've got a Google Cardboard. So... If I can interact with this in any way using that, then um, do do let me know. But it sounds like, from a quick Google, I cannot. No, I don't have a, a VR headset. I am tempted to get one, but it would only be for the purposes of playing Beat Saber. So it would be on my PlayStation. So I still couldn't come and join you. Beat Saber is just a game. I, I guarantee you, you'd quite enjoy hanging out in our bar. Yeah, but can I do it from a PlayStation? Yeah, I don't know. Check. <clears throat> that's the thing i only mm, want to buy not. one for my playstation so i can play the, and this is the real I problem la- i don't have any computer that would feasibly run uh, a vr rig so ah but remember that's the whole point of the oculus quest which is a standalone that's why i have one i would never have one if you had to plug it into a thing yeah but can i play beat saber on it one day a Spaniel will buy one. So, but the problem is that the Star Wars Battlefront VR experience is only on PlayStation 4, but PlayStation 4 won't do the bar you've told me about. So I'd have to buy two VRs, Alison. Two! So if you had to choose, though, between the PlayStation Battlefront experience and the VR bar, it's going to be the... Hang on, did you just seriously tell me to choose between Star Wars or Friendship? It's not a difficult decision, Liz. Star Wars every time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, to be fair, it might well be that it has come out on PC since then, but um, it was, I know it was a PlayStation exclusive. Um, but yeah, I like that the Oculus Quest apparently comes with Oculus Quest um, colour-coded batteries. So for those who don't know, the Oculus Quest is sort of a, a mostly white with black um, trim and it looks very good. And it comes with two AA batteries, which are mostly white with black trim as well. I should say this is the Oculus Quest 2. I have the Oculus Quest 1, which is chopped liver. Ah. Ah, oh, what? Maybe I should get Oculus Quest 2, just so I can repeatedly tell you to buy the second one. Uh, it's, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, ooh, I could get a Quest 2 Elite strap. Yeah, it's complicated, John. Right, so... <laughs> it's £49 is what it is, Alison. HTC... HTC Vive, Oculus Rift, Rift S Go and Quest, Windows Mixed Reality and 2D mode on PC. And they have a beta client for the 2D mode on Mac. So although it says available wherever you are on for free, I think that doesn't include PlayStation or iOS or Android, all of which are places that you might well be. So, no. Um, Mozilla Hubs or Mothia Hubs. <laughs> it's so worth it. You're it done. makes I'm, me I'm so happy. I can't possibly express to you. <laughs> because every time you do it, you properly do the hand gesture and it's beautiful. Always. Uh, <laughs> I have no regrets. Okay. No, I shall I shall um I shall look up the Mac client then, the beta. Mathia Hubs runs in a web browser, so that might also work on devices. It could um, do, couldn't it? Alison will send me lots of links and there will Alison will send me lots of links and there will be links in the show notes, listeners. Um You use Chrome on a Google Cardboard to get it to Mozilla Hubs. Mathia Hubs. Mathia Hubs. Okay, cool. Good stuff.
I will not be joining you, but I am going to mention it quite a lot in order to now get Alison to do the hand gesture. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm kind of like, as also seeded, Mothia Netscape. <laughs> ah, dearie me. I will have to content myself with the whole going out and seeing people in person, which... All right, Liz. On that bombshell, that was episode 20 of Octothorpe. And it's goodbye from me. (laughs) It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Yes. Uh, now, you have a delivery. Now, we won't mention it, I but it's not Weetabix. I thought for a minute that Alex Horn was behind you in a hat. I, <laughs> I am. If we ever do Fanish Taskmaster, we have to get Stephen to play Alex Horn. Um, I'm sure Stephen's up for that. We don't know what to do. And we have to get Alison to play Greg. Wallace. No, Greg, Dave, have you not seen Taskmaster? No. Your homework is to go and see Taskmaster. And then you will it's... understand why we think you would make a good Greg Davis and Stephen would make a good Alex Horn. Okay, so this is like for when, after, in the aftertimes when we actually do punctuation live. Yes, yes. I mean, it would work. But I would highly, I would say to you, Alison, Taskmaster may be the best thing on British television at the moment. I, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. Okay, now that the Great British Bake Off is over, that is not actually saying a lot. And I do not think any British shows are currently queued up in my life at all. Watch Taskmaster. But many, many, many non-British shows are. How much Taskmaster do I need to watch in the busiest two weeks of my professional year? And how much Taskmaster could I possibly leave to the two weeks between the 22nd... The, uh, the two weeks between the final post for First Class Post and the 2nd of January, during which I do no work at all? Yes. The answer to your question is yes. I, I got confused with dates. Yeah, I promised to watch Taskmaster a bit over Christmas. And, and is it one of these shows like House of Game? Because Richard Osman was extremely funny on Stuart and McConey. And he was saying that House of Games, he couldn't get anyone to let him do it because he wanted celebs to be on for the whole week. And he couldn't get anyone to let him do it until Taskmaster. And then everyone was like, oh, you mean like Taskmaster? And he was like, yes, I've been banging on about this for years, you nuts. Anyway, he didn't say that because he's a very polite man on the radio. Yeah, so basically Richard Osman, Richard Osman was interviewed by Richard Herring on the Richard Herring Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Reher Lester Purr. Reher Lester Purr. And um, the uh, thing he said is basically Taskmaster has kind of a- almost, has done an awful lot to reinvigorate the... Um, kind of uh game show genre uh because it is the first show that has let you have a persistent panel and has demonstrated that that can actually be funny and a thing worth doing um so yes i think richard osman um has has mentioned this on, on other podcasts as well um taskmaster is almost infinitely better than house of games to be fair but um oh i quite like i love house of games though so while I do f-ing love Taskmaster, I will say that when we were chatting earlier and we said, oh, we won't need very much this episode because we've already got a bunch of stuff from the last one, we are now talking about even more shit, which is definitely not going to go into the podcast. So, 
should we move on to something that's podcastable? Yeah. That's all after that's all after show to be fair. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.